What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Welcome back to another episode of Deep Just Conversations. I'm your creator and host, Jerome Moore. And as always, every guest that comes on here is special. Um, I had to track this guest down for about two years, though. <laughs> well, we have with us today um, Courtney Hill, Chief Hope Diller. Chief Hope Diller, yeah. Chief Hope Diller uh, of Super Money Kids, uh, entity named Knowledge Bank. And uh, when I met Courtney, it was Knowledge Bank. Yeah, you know, and I'm gonna take us how far back. And shout out to um, the Studio Bank for sponsoring this episode. First and foremost, thank you, appreciate y'all. Uh, but I'm gonna tell you how far we go back, though. Shout out to Jeremy Williams Chico because he the one that connected us, right? Yep. And I can't remember what restaurant we was at, but we sat down. I'm gonna tell you how far we go back of just like how far Knowledge Bank and Super Money Kids has come. You were still working. I think in healthcare. Healthcare. ACA. Yeah. It was a, a HCA affiliate. HCA yeah. affiliate. That's how far. And I remember, like us. And I, what, what was I doing? I can't remember what I was doing. I want to say you just got back in the country maybe. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. maybe. And um, and I know you was in that 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 space. Like, man, I'm ready to like kind of just be able to go full time, but like. I got to get the money thing together and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But now here you are, man. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I rem I know where we, we were in East Nashville. We were at, um, it, it's like the Caribbean um, restaurant. It's not even open. It, it was right there across from East High School. Okay. That And that location is closed. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, re I remember that vividly. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's been that much time that's gone by. But there, it has been a lot of time. There's right. been a lot of life. Right. Uh, changing events that have happened in the right. process. We've changed the right. branding of the company, um, but still just as passionate about the work right. um, um, than, than we've ever been. So, yeah, man. Yeah, now, nah, man, congratulations on all that, man. It's always good when you see a, a black man, uh, for me specifically, uh, just, just doing this thing, taking care of family, taking care of community, uh, not conforming. You know what I'm saying? You can be your complete, true self, you know, uh, I'm put this on the record. Your sister wild though. <laughs> my sister's lie. She lie. You know what I'm saying? My sister's lie. Yeah. <laughs> but I shout out to her though. Um in PHC Pearl Cone, you know. Um but man, let's get right into it, man. I want uh for people who may not know you, because now you can just Google your name and you know, it's everything <laughs> popping up. You're doing big stuff out here. But uh for people who 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 may not know you, haven't hit Google yet, man, just tell people a little bit about yourself and kind of an abbreviated kind of journey of how you got into Super Money Kids. Yeah, yeah, man. So uh, Courtney Hale, Nashville native, MMPS product, which is something that I'm really proud of and mm -hmm. like to promote all through this city, through Nashville. Um, you know, of course, a lot of the work and the outreach that you do goes beyond this city, but people who are watching this locally, it's important for me to say, hey, this is what 
um, a, a public school product uh, can be. And our schools are much better than they sometimes are given the reputation for. So that piece is important. Um, I got into financial literacy work, man, because I, prior to being in like corporate, I did a lot of work in financial services. And I got to see a lot of really good stories about families and money. I also got to hear some really, really tragic stories. And um, while hearing all of that in, in the various experiences that I had, I was like, yo, this thing is way too complicated for us to have to learn through trial and error. Right. But at the same time, it's simple enough for us to be able to learn as kids. And, and I, I would look around to find resources that existed to teach us about our money. And there really just wasn't much there. Um, but I felt like I had the, the expertise uh, a level of creativity and at the time you know I was much younger to create some engaging content that could change the lives of young people all over the country and um, what we did when we first started and it was probably around the time when we first met was we created a summer program for teenagers we ran it for about eight to ten weeks every summer um, just teaching them everything that I felt like they needed to know about money just to mm -hmm. just to create a strong foundation and to help them have conversations with family um, about money because I felt like through through the exposure and through the conversations you can start changing um, the the future of your family just by talking about it just by being aware and that went really well and um, you know we were able to get some partnerships with some larger um, nonprofits. The biggest one that we had when we were, when, during this transition was the YMCA. And um, they were really receptive to what we were doing, to what I was doing, because at that time it was like, you know, me and my wife basically making this thing happen. Um, we had a few volunteers at the time, but they were like, yeah, you know, let's see what you can do. And um, we designed a program for them, and we got that program. We got that curriculum into a few other YMCA programs, and from there, we were really able to expand um, because they gave us like credibility, right. and and in any anything that you start, you know, any business that you start, like that credibility piece is is so so important because everybody's so weary, and you know, I didn't look like right. you know what we were used to seeing as a society when it when it comes to like money and finance. Like right. I didn't I didn't have that look. Like I was young. Right. You know, I was, uh, you know, I wore sneakers and hoodies and right. I was actually probably much more like business casual then <laughs> than I am now, to be honest. But um, but still, I, I didn't look the part. And so I was right. able to get credibility from a couple organizations. We ended up getting a, a, a really, um, a, a really, um, I was going to say large contract. Um, but large becomes relative. At that time, right. it was a huge contract <laughs> that we Sub got. Substantial. Yeah. <laughs> it was a massive contract with uh, the city of Nashville through their summer youth employment program, and it was our first like multi-year contract. And then from there, you know, we we've just been able to just get really really creative with our branding curriculum. Um, you know, going from like in-person programming to everything being digital, right. um, and through through some of that uh, became you know Super Money Kids as we started concentrating on a, a younger demographic. And so, hold on, let's, let me pause it right here. Yeah, Courtney did not bring us a bank, y'all. You know. Yeah, that's a major fail on yeah, my part. Ma no, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I'm putting we saw eat some of this pizza too. Even though, so this is what Courtney did, y'all. You know, this is deep. This conversations. 
we, we don't discriminate against any type of pizza, right? As long as it's good pizza, it doesn't matter. But he said, give me thin crust, all right? Then he said, my, on top of that, yeah, let's make everything vegan too. <laughs> you know, you, you know, it's really hard to ruin pizza for me. You know what I'm saying? But like, I you came know, close. You, you came close. <laughs> and then he going to tell me when he got in here, y'all. Yeah, I started to really tell you, just give me a salad. I was going to order a salad on deep dish combos. We would have counted. This episode would have never been seen. This, <laughs> yeah, this episode, yeah. we would have never seen this one. We would have, I, I, I wouldn't dare. You would have, I would have sent it to you and say, "Hey man, I'll let you know when it's coming out." Do what you want to do with do it. What you do. <laughs> Put it on some money, kids. Do what you want to do with it, but it's not gonna do this. But now, nah, uh, but man, partake when you want to. Um, I'm man, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna try. We're gonna try it out. We're yeah, gonna, we're gonna try it out. And this is all real. Everything they do a really great job at three one two just with pizza. So this is my first thing, crust them. So uh, we're gonna see. We're gonna see. It's straight. It's straight, yeah. It still got flavor. Yeah. I thought the veganness of it was gonna take away from the flavor. <laughs> <laughs> it was gonna no. take away from the flavor, but I can It's good. It's good. Coming from the dude that eat, you know, I <laughs> you know. Of course, I of course I think it's okay. No, but it's good. If it's coming from me, because I'm not gonna lie. But it, and you know, all pieces ain't for everybody. But <laughs> hey, all pieces ain't for everybody. So I had some pieces like ah. But now this is good, and for it to be like real, like like vegan cheese, mm -hmm. vegan pepperoni, crust the crust is, is hitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think like if you can make a really good crust, even if the toppings are okay. Like it can make it just it can make it more than probably what it should be. Absolutely, and I think they have. I think they have more vegan toppings besides the pepperoni. Mm-hmm. Well, look, if you did, you you confused me. When you sent me what you wanted, <laughs> I thought premium was a pizza, and so when I put the order in, shout out to Kim. I put the order in the Kim. She was like, "Do you want like all of this stuff on there?" <laughs> I'm like, "It premium, not a pizza, because it had like, like pepperoni, Italian beef, and mm -hmm. then it had vegan pepperoni, vegan, um, vegan cheese, and some other type of cheese." Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, "I thought so." Let me check. Of course, Courtney didn't hit me back, man. <laughs> so you went with safe. I said I went safe. Like this dude, vegan cheese and pepperoni. And for him to pick that, I think he on this help thing. So let's go with it. Yeah, man. I, you know, I told you. Like I'm trying to. You know, I'm. You know, I'm getting up there, man. You know, I got. I have a bur a birthday in in a few weeks. I'll be 39. Yeah, man. And and so I tell people all the time. I was gonna say 35. Nah, man. I'll be 39. So you're that much older than me. Yeah. Wow. So, um, like, I've always been, like, really healthy, really active, mm -hmm. um, you know, always have done some type of, you know, lifestyle change in terms of my diet. Like, I've been, you know, pescatarian. I've, you know, not eaten, you know, carbs. <laughs> like, I've, I, like I've, done, I've done a lot, but it's really helped mm -hmm. um, me in terms of my body and how I feel. Right. But something happened at 36, 36 was the age to where, like, I really, like, started feeling a little bit old. Not feeling old. I don't feel old. Mm -hmm. But 36 was the year that I was like, oh, yeah, this is different than these 35 <laughs> other years. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is, so, 
So now I have to work a little bit harder, you know, to stay mm -hmm. trim, not to have like the the dad belly, you right. know what I'm saying? Right. Um, you know, if I'm in the gym or whatever, can't eat as many as many sweets because your brain don't yeah, function yeah. the same, you know. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, man. So this is just you know we into a new year. I wild out at the end of the year, so I had to bring it all back, mm -hmm. man. So yeah, well I'm only 31, so I'm awake. <laughs> Five more years. <laughs> nah, I need to get it together. Oh, I'm, I'm, I really need. I was together. Man, once you take that break, and you get busy. Mm -hmm. and you start coming up with stuff in your mind like ah, you know. But I'm getting back in the gym in the next month though. For Do sure. it. No, for sure. You just feel better. Mm -hmm. Help you stay younger longer. Oh, that's a fact. That's a fact. So I know you was trying to get into some some stuff with Super Money Kids. But I want to ask you this, though. How did your, I mean, let me preface it. Many of us, and especially in our black community, right, generational wealth just doesn't exist for many of us coming up, right? Mm -hmm. like, like, we can have affluent families, but don't have, like, affluent families with wealth, right? And um, many of us, new entrepreneurs, new business owners are, like, first, you know, um, to trying to figure out how to get uh, loans, how to get business credit, all of this, trying to figure out what financial literacy really means and what it is, right? So for you, how did your personal upbringing with your parents and what you've seen, like, influence you to do what you do today? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And I talk about this often. <clears throat> so for me in my childhood, it's like I saw like what some of the consequences were of like financial illiteracy. Like I saw what some of the consequences could be of, of being broke. Mm -hmm. I won't say poor because um, we had a lot of love and, and my family did their best. But, you know, we were broke. And so a couple of things that we saw is, you know, how financial troubles can end relationships. Um, how it can create fractured homes, how it can impact your ability to dream and utilize the talents that you have. And um, so one of the stories I tell is, is like, so I grew up with my stepdad and my mom, and they both had their unique, like, talents and skills. And, um, and, I, and they both had aspirations of making money doing those things. They just had completely different views on how to do that and like my stepdad is like the risk it all type it's like hey i'm gonna fight for what i want mm -hmm. i'm gonna risk everything that i have <laughs> you know i i don't care who who i upset in the process like this is what i want and i'm gonna go for it right. my mom was much more conservative she's like okay you know we have three kids it doesn't, you know, we can't make every financial risk, you know, because she's thinking about, she's a mother, she's a nurturer, right? right? She's right. she's thinking about the security of her children. And so she was a lot more um, logical and conservative in her approaches toward entrepreneurship. And their different views, among some other things, ultimately caused them to, to divorce. And so I will always think back on my childhood about things that happened and struggles that we had and 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 you know um just a variety of things i won't get into all of the details but one of the things that i often would re-examine was who was right 
right? Was was, was my dad right? right? Was my mom right? And I came to the conclusion that they were both right. You know, when you have a unique talent or you want to start a business, you should be able to go after that thing with 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 no concern, right. with all of your energy and time and heart. Right. But you should do that in a way that's calculated, in a way that you can plan for. They were both doing the right things. They just didn't have instruction on how to bring those things together. There wasn't anything out there to teach people how to start businesses. Right. Um, there wasn't any education around financial literacy. Right. But if those things would have exist, you know, all of our stories could be completely different. Now, I would challenge I, you a little bit. And I was going to say that I would say that if the stories were different, there may not be uh, super money kids. So I got I got I'm a challenge you on this. Did they not exist or they didn't have access? I'm going to say it's, it's I'm going to say it's a little bit of, of both. There, okay. there even today in 2022, right. there are very few financial education or resources available. So if you go back um you know 25 years, 25 30 years ago, there were even less. Okay. Now another thing that is also true is that there were people available who were, were bankers and and insurance agents and people who did the traditional financial services jobs, those resources were not accessible for a family of the economic status of my family. Right. So from that perspective, those people who maybe you could have gotten it and maybe um, even even if you were like very middle class, there's a lot of data that shows that bankers would give people who would qualify for like prime rates would give them more subprime mm -hmm. um, you know rates on loans, even though they may qualify for more things. There's there's a lot of data and research out there that talks about how um, the insurance industries would play would prey on black and brown communities, and you know um, would steal their their um their their payments on their insurance and never pay out and uh would offer them lower policies than what they were actually paid for this is all and we all know about you know access to to real estate and redlining and how that's impacted um our community and our ability to build wealth all those things so there was an access right. issue as well but there was also uh an availability issue okay that existed so, what does financial literacy mean to you? Yeah, so for me, financial literacy is the ability to understand money and build wealth for yourself, uh, utilizing your your gifts and talents, right? So it's, it's three parts for me. Okay. Um, number one is like being able to understand money, but the understanding of money in itself doesn't do anything for you, okay. right? You actually have to be able to put that, that information into practice. All right. So it, it's being able to, you know, build, to actually build up your credit score, um, you know, buy a home, 
one day pull the equity out of that home to make other investments or contributing to your retirement plan so that you have sufficient income at the point that you graduate. It, it's being able to financially support your, your children so that they can acquire new skills so they themselves can build wealth and then you pass those things down to them. And then the third piece is being able to do that in a way that you can give all of yourself every day. Now, now there, there are going to be some of us and some of our parents who absolutely sacrifice. It's like, I am going to sacrifice my personal happiness and work in a job that I hate so that I can care for my children. And I understand it and I respect that. And you got to do what you got to do. Right. But I would like... I would like there to come a point to where we don't have to do that anymore. Okay. If you have a passion to do community work or to change the world, you can do that in a way that you're making money right. and you don't have to be a poor, you know, not poor, you don't have to be a broke community changer. Right. 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 Um, you can do that in a way that works for you. No, we're not, we don't, we don't want that over here. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, <laughs> no, nah, we don't want you to be that. Or, or if right. you're a, a teacher or whatever you're interested, whatever your passion is, if you're a musician, if you're an artist, if you're a welder or an HVAC right. tech, occupational therapist, whatever it is, right. I want you to love that work and be able to create the lifestyle that that you want for yourself. So to me, that's what financial literacy means. And so as I was preparing for this interview two years ago, <laughs> uh, and, you know, somebody who wants to, you know, uh, build just financial wealth for myself, generational wealth for my family, um, did a little research on financial literacy. And it was amazing to me some of the things, um, some of the narratives that I came across that I never really thought about before when it came to financial literacy. And I want to like pose this to you and get your perspective on what you think about. And one of the first ones is somebody needing financial literacy, does that mean they're financially illiterate? Mmm, stumped him. He's chewing on the pizza. Nah. I mean, it don't, I don't think it matters. Okay. I don't think it matters. I think what matters is what you're doing. Okay. It's not the category. It's like whether, oh, I'm financially literate or I'm financially illiterate. Because when people say, hey, um, I want to give you financial literacy or you may need financial literacy, the presumption could be on the person receiving that, oh, you don't, you don't think I understand money you don't think i understand my finances um and that's why i wanted to pose that question to you yeah like because people get like protective and prideful right first of all we don't talk like that we won't be like hey i think you need some financial right. literacy but when we hear it though yeah it's, I, it's, I, so like financial literacy like that though that's a that's the term that we use like within the organizations mm -hmm. when we're when when our our uh, government agencies are, you know, writing proposals to get funding right. from the federal government, or when I'm applying for for funding, or when we need to categorize things, mm -hmm. you know, how we talk to each other is, a you know, uh, Mama getting old. What right. we gonna do with that house out east? Right. All right. Well. You know, let's talk to somebody who can give us some some advice on some things that we should do. Right. Right. That's not saying you're financially illiterate. Right. It's not saying that you're financially literate. It's just saying, hey, like we need to have some conversations. Right. Um, I think in terms of what needs to change as a society is we need more financial literacy 
within our organizations that that educate and train our children because now more than ever the cost of being financial illiterate is more expensive than it ever has been especially for for people from communities of color because we lose wealth like one of the things that people don't understand about you know the racial conversation around money and how and how like the wealth gap matters and how it impacts us seriously is like like black families can achieve a certain level of of income and a certain status in terms of their wealth and then we can lose it because we don't have we don't have um multiple generations that have been able to build wealth most of the time for most black people not everybody this doesn't apply to everybody but most black people have only had one generation where they can successfully build wealth but what happens is we have a a national economic crisis and we can name their name like we just had the pandemic prior to the pandemic we had the housing crisis of 2008 prior to that we had the uh the dot-com boom what happens in every one of these recession cycles is black people you lose their wealth and they're not able to regain it but you know man some instances for a generation right you see what i'm saying so we have to have more financial literacy in place so that everybody is able to succeed and that's not just like black people it even matters for our economy as a whole because growth is important for our economy all right if you got the same little group of people who buying stuff all the time well your economy's not growing but if you can take this group of people down here and and give them the the jobs and education and help them make the decisions that help them um kind of move up that that economic um you know kind of the economic um increase their economic status now you have a larger group of people who can buy and that creates growth for the economy as a whole what does financial what is somebody that's or some what is what is somebody that is financial financially illiterate look like what's the definition of that because i guess we gonna understand one i guess we need to understand the other yeah, so what it looks like is um, I mean, what it looks like is 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 uh people living check to check, um uh, having to clock in, mm. um not having substantial benefits, not being able to pass wealth down to their families, mm. um insufficient coverage in terms of insurance, whether that's health insurance, life insurance, um, not owning any assets, so not having any savings, right. not having any investments. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, you go to work so that you can pay your bills and then you have nothing left to build on. So like we talk a lot about, we teach we teach kids about net worth and we don't have net worth conversations in America. We only talk about income. Right. Like all, most of all we talk about is income, but when we start having conversations about the wealth gap, that's actually a measure of your net worth. Okay. All right, so it's like what you own minus what you owe. Right. So people who, what does lack, what does financial illiteracy looks like, look like? It's people who have, less than 
I, I even hate to even put a benchmark to it, but it, like the average net worth of of a white family in America is like one hundred and thirteen thousand dollars. Okay. Net worth, so assets, my everything you own minus what you owe, what's left is one hundred thirteen thousand dollars. For black families, it's like ten thousand dollars. So like, what you own minus wow. what you owe is ten thousand dollars. But it's a lot to play. It's a lot that goes into that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like so. What you own is like cash, investments, right. real right. estate. You know, I mean, even say cars, jewelry, right? right? What you own, what you owe is like loans primarily. Right. You know, to the bank, loan on your car, loan on your house if you even have one. Student loans, maybe you owe the IRS. Right. Like so, you look at the difference of that. For black people, it's ten thousand dollars, which ain't a lot. So, which is like nothing. Nothing. It's nothing, right? So that's what financial illiteracy looks like. Okay, illiteracy. Illiteracy. You just gave us a lot of breakdown, which I'm excited for. Right. Again, been preparing for this for two years. Right. <laughs> now, out of all the things you just kind of said about financial literacy and financial illiteracy, baked into that is like critical social issues, right, that prevents blacks from being able to raise their net worth and that kind of advantages whites and to, to keep their net worth and, and continue to grow, right? So when we talk about financial literacy, <clears throat> how does the social construct that we all trying to navigate play a part in that? Because if I can't get a livable wage, which is $51,000 in Nashville at this particular moment, how can I manage to, to garner or to practice, because you said practice, financial literacy? Mm -hmm. How do we combat that? Because I, how do we combat that? All right. So we're going to have a real, real conversation. Let's, let's, First of all. It's deep dish. We got to get deep. I'm going to acknowledge I, I may acknowledge the social constructs that have existed in this country that have prevented people of color from building wealth. I've already talked about yeah, yeah. a few of them. Yeah. Um, and there are still some barriers that exist out there, um, especially in corporate America. I've experienced that before. I've, I've worked in a place that, honestly, if, if most people in, in Nashville looked at that job, they're like, you know, that guy has a really, really good job. Um, and there were times where I deserved better jobs than the one that I was working, and um, and I didn't get those jobs. And I'm 100% positive that race played a role in that. I have friends throughout the country who work for corporations who are still becoming, like, the first to do X, Y, and Z for these companies. All right? 20, this is 2022, right? Okay. 2020, like, we are still reaching first in right. terms of equality, in terms of, of where we work, titles. Yeah, it's still happening. Right. So I, I want to acknowledge that. Um, I also want to acknowledge how where we live impacts the quality of education that our children have access to. I know, especially in a city like Nashville, that certain families are deterred from communities um, you know, because of the the race of the people that live in those communities. Um, now, it, it's, it's changing a little bit now because everybody just want to live in Nashville and you only got so many places where you can live, right? right? But I, I know that that's happening. And, and education plays a role in our ability to build wealth as well. With that said and acknowledge, 
and respected. And that could be a whole conversation that we can have in itself that I can speak to. We do still have the abilities to change our current financial status. We do that in a few different ways. Okay. Number one, we have to get ourselves in industries where we can make more money. Okay. All right. Intentionally. Intentionally. Uh, technology is number one. All right. If, if you're at a place where you're unhappy with your job, you're unhappy with your income, and you don't see a way out of that, you need to immediately stop and you need to find one of the many um, technology training online schools that you can enroll in. A lot of those are really reasonable. They're a fraction of the cost of what it would take to go get a degree from somewhere. Right. And normally they, not normally, they take a lot less time. Right. You know, you're a typically talking about like a lot of like, boot camps, right. you know, like 18 to, you know, 24 month programs, right. develop a skill in technology. I have, there are people, people who have worked with us, like worked with us in terms of like a part of our team, helped us create some of our projects. I have seen them transition to technology start off with a job at like $36,000 and in 24 months they make it over $100,000. I've I've seen this over and over and over again. Um technology, I think that's where the biggest change is in terms of increasing right. your income. Um there are some other places, you know, get it depending on the city that you live in, right. you know, figure out what industries are really driving your city. So we're in Nashville, so it's, you know, healthcare, technology, logistics right. and uh tourism. Right. All right? Um there are there are jobs within those industries that still don't pay much money, right. but you want to be able to find the ones where you can significantly increase your income. So you and you have to make the decision because it's not hard having a job and a schedule that you're used to saying that I'm going to add something else onto my plate so I can grind for the next 24 months so that. You know, I can greatly increase my income, right? It's like delayed gratification at its finest. And it's hard and it's not easy. Right. You have to step outside of your comfort zone to do that. But that's one thing that's required to increase the money that we make. Um, another thing is um, entrepreneurship is really, really important. Mm -hmm. We talk about entrepreneurship a lot within Super Money Kids, and our narrative around that topic has even changed. And we used to like teach entrepreneurship as like an alternative to uh, traditional employment. And we stopped doing that. Um, and the reason being is now in, in this era that we're in, I don't think entrepreneurship is, a, is an option anymore. Right. I think we all have to be entrepreneurs because one reason that you mentioned is if you live in a city like Nashville and you're underpaid, you almost got to have a side hustle. Right. To make ends meet. Right. Um, but the, the other reason is I, I think it's our side gigs that give us happiness and joy and purpose. And we can figure out ways to to monetize that. Mm -hmm. um, and the other reason in terms of why entrepreneurship is important is because nothing is nothing is given. Like, like nothing is a guarantee anymore. Right. Even if you work. I'm going to say even if you work for a technology company, but the difference is that even if you get work for a technology company and you get laid off, you can just right. go across the street. Yours, so. Yeah, you just go across the street, get you another job. Right. But most of the jobs that people have, you can get laid off at any moment. I worked for, work for a company that laid off 30%, with 25, 30% of our workforce a week before Christmas. Wow. 
Yeah, we laid out like thirty, like <laughs> a quarter of the whole workforce a week before Christmas. Wow, like like nothing. And these are really smart people, very educated. It's a great company, right? Um, but just things happen, right? Right. Um, and so because of the lack of lack of predictability, the lack of job security that exists across all industries, if you lose a job, like you got to figure out how you can make some money real quick right. because it typically takes about, I think on average, it takes four to six months to find another job after mm-hmm. you've lost one. Right. Now, it don't take that long if you already got one. Right. But that's why they say, like, if it, like get something when you don't need it. Right. Now, when you get fired and you're looking for another job, it's going to take you four to six months. Now, right. you just leave a job, you can probably find one in about 30 days. Right. But, um, but yeah, so it's like the, through entrepreneurship and ownership, mm-hmm. that allows us to kind of get out of that, that hole of lack of income. Um, then there are other things that we can do more long term okay. that may not impact, you know, I, you know, I'm going to think about somebody like my parents age. Like if you hadn't done any of the things that we've talked about in terms of building wealth, like what can you do? Well, you can ensure that your kids don't have to go through the same thing that you did right. by having a will and having life insurance. Right. So you have something to pass down to them. Right. So at least they're starting from a better starting position than what what you did. So, I mean, those are a few things that that can absolutely be done. Um, e-commerce. So one one of my this is a personal theory, and I think people like like Jeff Bezos would agree with me. Listen to me talking about Jeff. Jeff Bezos going to agree with me. Like I ain't agreeing with Jeff, but he's going to agree <laughs> with me. But um, there there was a point in time in this country where the primary path to building wealth was through real estate. Um, families built wealth through home ownership. That's the reason why redlining was was so hurtful to black people. It's because, you know, the federal government, they had issued this new deal to help families be able to build wealth. You didn't have to bring as much money to the closing table. You could just bring a little bit of money, right. get this house. This house going to appreciate. You could later take money out, you know, buy another house, start right. a business, send your kids to college. Right. And we were denied that. And, and so, anyway, so there was a point in time where real estate was the primary mechanism for building wealth in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've reached an era where that's no longer the case. I actually think the primary tool to building wealth in America now is through e-commerce. Okay. Um, so, and, and I think that even e-commerce can be broken down into a couple of different categories. I think there's literally selling products and services online, right? right? Whatever it is, whatever you want to sell, like you just start selling it, run a a dope digital marketing campaign, you'll sell it to people all over the world. But then I also think um, producing content Mm -hmm. is a part of, it absolutely is a part of e-commerce because the ads that run is about selling a product, right, right, online. And so I think we've reached an era where Real estate isn't the primary tool. Now it's e-commerce. So everybody should be selling something online and everybody should be producing content. The great thing about that for everybody, but specifically people of color, is that there's no barrier of entry. Like, even if you wanted to go out and, like, buy a house, like, I ain't going to talk about Nashville because it's ridiculous, but let's just say in a regular city that's growing <laughs> at a normal pace, right. you find you a house that's $200,000, you got to bring 20% of that to the closing. Like, well, right. Most of the time, there are some yeah, programs that are out there. You got to bring some money to yeah. the table, right? right? So you got to have some bread saved up. 
Well, you can start a you can you can you can put your cell phone on a tripod and start producing com- content tonight. Right. You know what I'm saying? You can put up a a Shopify page for thirty dollars a month. Right. You know what I'm saying to sell a product. Right. You see what I'm saying? And and maybe you know you you wholesale your product for five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So five hundred and thirty dollars in the first month gets your e-commerce business started. Right. You see what I'm saying? So. There's not the same barrier of entry to build wealth that there there has been, you know, in the last, you know, four decades. Right. What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, creator and host of Deep Dish Conversations. And I know y'all enjoying this episode, but just real quickly, make sure y'all hit the subscribe button and hit that notification so you can be notified when we drop new episodes and interviews. All right. I appreciate all love and support. And let's get back to this episode. I think. The, the and it's just and it's hard to it's hard to combat. We have to be innovative and know how to navigate it in this social construct because this, this systemic discrimination, racism, it finds a way to 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 still marginalize folks when there's no even no entry to barrier. Just because even if we use our face, it's our skin. <laughs> it's a stigma to it, uh, even from a digital content perspective, right? Um, but I think the ways that you, it's something we just got to navigate, right? I don't like, it is what there, it is. Listen, it is what in it terms is. of building wealth, there's going to always be an obstacle. Right. Like there's, there's going to be something. Right. There, racism will forever exist in this country because there is no interest in this country to address it. Right. So we can't allow that to be a... Like we can't, can't, yeah, 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 like you, like, like, you got to get over that because once you get beyond racism, you're gonna run into a whole bunch of other things as to why your business not getting off the ground or why people don't like your content, right? You know, and you can't, you can't be sensitive either, right? Right? Like you can't, you, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of racism and you know it's upsetting, but I don't have time. I ain't got time to complain about that. I complain about it to you know like. My closest friends or whatever, and right. then at the little while you vent, you got to. like you, you get you over it, and you just keep on going. Like, nah, we're broke in the richest country. I'm saying we, as in as a black people, yeah. are broke in the richest country in a world in the world, and that foolishness, like, get over it. Like, get over that. I'm not. I'm not saying our people who are fighting for it need to stop. Right. I'm speaking purely from an economic perspective okay purely from an economic perspective i'm not talking about socially right. in terms of building businesses and people making money like you you gotta we got, it's some it's some and we in a we in a we, we in a pretty good city right now to like to get some things going if you can get past mentally if you can just say okay that's gonna be what it's gonna be but i know it's money in that it's opportunity there's people 100 people coming here a day like i can make some shape yeah. <laughs> I can make some shake and I can profit from it and it can be mine and whatever's gonna come with it's gonna come with it just because you know you're in this country but like they don't have to be a barrier though it don't it don't have to be there are a lot of people here there are a lot of people with money here right um you know like think about you know you know think about how you can do something versus right. you know why you can't because I, I I've talked to friends who live here who come from other cities where there's not a lot of opportunity and it's hard for me to even fathom what it's like to be in a city and there's like not a major corporation based there right. where everybody that lives in the city, everybody like black, white, otherwise, right. they like work for the local factory right. They go clock in and they get off and they do the same thing 
for 40 years. And that's all there is to do in that city. That's what that's what people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. It's people all over this country that love to live in Nashville and right. deal with these racist ass people here. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because right. it's, it's it's opportunity. Okay, like I I, I I'm gonna deal right. with that problem, but you know. And that's why I like always talking about navigating, right? Because it's like it's gonna be here. So how do we navigate it the best that way we can, where we can still be great, successful, build, and you know, be financially uh, wealthy. Uh, learn financial literacy, learn wealth management and all those things, and then make it as even easier for the next generation to navigate it because you have a, a better, stronger economic base uh, than we might have had, right? Um, yeah. I have a question for my intern. Okay. Caden is right over there. All right. I, I, he's, he got to come up with a question or two for every guest. All so right. This is his question to you. Shout out to Caden. How do we promote uplifting black communities through financial literacy without feeding into the false narrative that black people are less financially literate than white people? Good question, Caden, by the way. Let me hear a very good question. Let me hear the question again. You know it's a good question when they say, let me hear it one more time. <laughs> How do we promote uplifting black communities through financial literacy without feeding into the false narrative that black people are less financially literate than white people? I think the first part is being able to understand that black people's current economic status isn't a fault of their own. And and it has been very systemic in how we've gotten here. I think that's the first, I think it's the first piece. The second piece is I, I think we have to approach this solution with um, a level of respect for the people that we want to support, right? These, you know, this isn't about decisions you made. It's not about um, like, oh, you had you had two kids before you was 25, and why would you do that? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like when we start talking about, you know, organizations that support certain populations, it, there's a space where it gets very judgmental. Right. And... <clears throat> You, you can't judge a person's path. You just have to understand that they just want better. Right. And the focus should be on helping people do better. Right. And the details in terms of, of their past, it's irrelevant. Right. Um, you know, the, the, that false narrative around, uh, um, I mean, that, that, that's just foolish in itself, mm-hmm. you know, um, and there's there's really no need to really give that any real energy just because it's just a false statement. Right. Um, people just want to do better. Like we all, regardless of what we look like, our race, um, our our religion, our sexuality, like we're deep down, we're all the same. Right. Like we have passions, we have love, we want to take care of our loved ones, we want to be happy. That's what that's what that's what matters the most. If you want to help, help. Right. The the judgmental part has to has to go out the window. Okay. But you also have to be a like I said first, you also have to be able to acknowledge that the gap that exists in terms of wealth for black people and white people, it comes from a very intentional place right. and policies that existed in this country. Right. The, uh, we talked about the New Deal. The New Deal had a lot of programs underneath it. The GI Bill was one. The GI Bill is a program that allowed 
um, veterans and their children to be able to go get college degrees for free. Right. In the initial versions of the GI Bill, it excluded black people. Right. So if you were related to a veteran, you could go to college for free unless you are black. Right. All right. Um, the the um, um, federal house, I think it's Federal Housing Authority. It's the program that managed the uh, like FHA loans and all that. Like it it said that you know if you get this government loan, you only have to bring X amount of dollars, but you have to live in these neighborhoods. We will not give loans for homes in these other neighborhoods right. and all those other neighborhoods throughout the country were black community. Right. And if you go back and if you compare some of those maps to to maps of today, those same communities that were redlined back in the 50s and 60s are still some of the poorest communities in the country. Yep. Still. Yep. All right. So you, you have to be able to acknowledge the history and how we've gotten to this place. So I want to I wanna, um, move after the acknowledgement, right? Because I think as a country and even as a city, because we're speaking straight to Nashville here, as a city we've acknowledged a lot of uh, systemic harm, structural harm, structural racism um, in our organizations and in our institutions in this city. Right. Um, when it comes to financial literacy, now that we have acknowledged a lot of this stuff, and I know with Super Money Kids is specifically talking in ingraining the youth, what can we do in Nashville? If, like what Super Money Kids are doing in Nashville, how can we continue to do more than that and making sure that our youth that's coming up in Nashville? understands the importance of financial literacy and learn and learn how to navigate that regardless your you know race gender sexuality and all those things yeah I, I think some of it is is a um, uh, a perspective change I think sometimes people look at financial literacy as something that you need as an adult just to maneuver through the world right you right. need to know how to do certain things but I actually see financial literacy as a motivator for students to perform academically. Mm -hmm. I think it gives hope. Like the whole chief hope dealer came from, hey, this is more than like budgets and credit scores. We are inspiring hope in communities that where hope may not have existed before. Right. Um, I think teaching students entrepreneurship, it gets them thinking about things that they can do today before they got a high school diploma or a college degree for how they can make money for their families who may already be struggling in poverty. Right. right. It gives them an immediate solution. I, I remember um, I heard um, Dr. Sean Joseph, who was the last director of schools here, speak at an event. And um, he made this statement. He said, uh, he said, the streets always hiring. <laughs> right. right. The streets always hiring. You, right. you want to, you know what I'm saying? If you want to go, you know what I'm saying, be a street pharmacist, right. you know what I'm saying? It's a place <laughs> you can go do that. You want right. to go out here and rob? It's right. a place you can do that. So we have to give our young people options, better options than the streets. Than the streets. Mm. So we have to start teaching financial literacy right. immediately. Right. It also helps all of our kids, regardless of race, right. make better decisions after high school. You know, the days of a kid 
I mean, this is really true when I graduated high school in 2001, and it, it should have been over then, but the days of a school of a kid graduating high school and being like, oh, I'm going to go to this out-of-state school, this out-of-state state school over here just because I want to move away from home, we can't afford that no more. Right. I mean, out-of-state tuition for, you know, for state schools, you're talking about, you know, $25,000, $30,000 a year, right. you know, times four. Hopefully right. you graduate in four. Most kids like graduate five. an average of five, yep, yep. right? So you thirty thousand dollars times five is hundred and fifty thousand dollars that that you have to and, owe and you that you have to repay. You measured in art, and exactly. <laughs> but and, and so to that point, right. we have to have financial literacy so we can teach students how to make better decisions in terms of what careers they want to pursue mm -hmm. with whatever they want to do after high school. Be realistic about that, right? Let's like let's look at you want to be this, right? You said you want to go to college and you want to be. A design or whatever it may be, fine, great. Let's see what 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 do you want to what, what kind of car you want to have? What kind of house do you want to live in? You have, what, do you want kids? What kind of life you want to provide with those kids? Well, based on this data, you know this is where this is the the maximum amount of money if you work in the the structural construct of your career and don't branch off and do your own thing. This is how this is what you're looking at: sixty, maybe seventy, maybe fifty, depending on what the career is. And I think if we started doing that sooner, it was like, oh, okay. You know, and realize we all ain't going to the NFL and NBA. Like, I thought I was going to the NBA, uh, right? Yeah, we <laughs> like, all went through we, it. We all yeah. went through it, right? And so, and so if we started doing that, right, I think we could we can really put a dent into some of those things. Um, or at least they have a realistic perspective and have be able to see and say, oh, okay, dang, I, I thought this maybe gave me $100,000 when it only gives me sixty. Yeah. You know, what, what can I do with that? You know, and I want to have kids and, you know, what is your spouse or partner doing, you know, mm -hmm. at the same time? Um, yeah, I mean, all of that. So the the first thing is, like, we have to change, like, our perspectives on financial literacy and what it is. Right. Right. And why it's important. Right. Um, I also think as a city, as a city, we have to. I'm glad you're changing that narrative, man. Because I'm, because. I posed a question to to Caden, right? Uh, our intern that asked you the other great question, and the first thing that he thought about asking, like, what do you think about financial literacy, right? Most people comes from an adult perspective, and like, oh, like, like, well, I don't even have enough money to even think about financial literacy because I think like financial literacy means I already have money, yeah. right? And I'm glad you're changing that narrative that it goes deeper than already having money, right? It's about how to make money, how to navigate using your money, and in in the Picking the sector of career you want to be in. And yeah. I don't think people look at that perspective, man. And I'll be honest, I don't think I looked at that perspective. Why would you? Right. Why would anybody? I ain't got enough money to be thinking about other than what I already got on my plate. But no, <laughs> right. like seriously, like, like, why would you think that right. way if nobody has ever told you that you need right. to think that way? And the people that's bringing it up is always people that have money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. You yeah, think about for it, like, sure. Like, like, it's like, dang, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, man. Um, I, 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 you know, yeah. And white, <laughs> on top of that, right? From yeah. my lens, right? We've we've reached we've reached a point with poverty in America now. I don't know. I, I'm gonna say reached a point. I don't even think we. I think it's probably been like this for forever, but people learn. People. No, it hadn't always been like this. There was a point, because I, I, I know, so like, you know, like my family grew up in the projects, all right? But my grandparents was like, hey, like, this isn't a final destination for us. 
we're going to work to do better. So there was like a desire to find more opportunity um, to like do better, to go on some to something else. I think that climbing out of, of poverty or even not even poverty, just economic obscurity has gotten so tough in America that a lot of people have just gotten comfortable in it and have just learned how to survive and and don't even and don't even look for options out. Let's talk about the projects a little bit. And this whole other topic so I don't want to stay on it too long. People are being incentivized, right? To live in those conditions. And when I say people, I'm gonna be more specific, black women are being incentivized, like, hey, I will give you this subsidized housing, not in the best environment, but I'm going to give you this subsidized housing for you and your kids. However, you got to make sure that you're not making this much money. Above a certain amount. Mm -hmm. Of money, and you can't have the father in the household. Right? Mm -hmm. Toxic, damaging, but you get comfortable, and you learn how to navigate that well. I know what day the, you know, the 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 public housing people is gonna come and check and see if anybody here. So make sure you make sure you gone and et cetera, et cetera. Like that stuff still exists today, and it's, I think that comfortability part is something that um, that we really need to, to look more out of. Your your grandparents was able to come up with a plan and knew like, hey, but it's a lot of our folks, a lot of our community. They had more options to do that back then too, because you know our grandparents, even our parents, you can make a very middle class income without a college degree right like my mom graduated from high school and went and worked in banking and you know did fairly well same thing with my mom that's what they did and then what happened was banking but it's back to a point that i brought up earlier what happened in banking was we had banking deregulation i won't get into what it what that is but a lot of the larger banks were able to combine because they could offer more services and when those banks started combining they had duplication of of task, uh, task. Mm-hmm. and a lot of people got laid off and um and so we started losing a lot of people um in banking black and white but obviously like i said the consequences for black people are always uh, more severe in an industry like banking and that actually happened following a recession as well so bringing up a point that i brought up earlier mm-hmm. black people always suffer more after recessions mm-hmm. This all happened on late 80s, early 90s. So it completely disrupted an industry. But um, today we we don't, today they're the only industry where you can make a significant salary without a college degree. There there are, so let me, let me change that. So, to, so today you absolutely have to have some level of post-secondary act. Um, education um the one career where that may not be necessary is technology because you can take an online course mm-hmm. you know you might pay five ten thousand dollars for it and you're right. done right but there are other industries where you can you know you go and you maybe you get a um, some type of certificate in a couple years maybe like an hvac working at hvac or as a welder cosmetologist barbering yeah and it depends on there's essential businesses, right? Right. Essential sectors, and then there's non-essential. So right. So just like how you differentiate that when it comes to what we're speaking about as far as like wealth building and being able to need and not need um, higher education 
yeah. to, uh, but, to have opportunities. And that's the point. It's like back then there wasn't this additional barrier of entry. Today we have a lot of barriers mm-hmm. to entry. And my personal argument is that we don't even have enough jobs for all these people who we telling to go to college and get these certificates. I don't, we don't even have enough jobs for all of them. Um, so, but back back to your point about about what's different today about those women living in those conditions, and they're almost being incentivized to stay there. There isn't an exit strategy for a lot of these women because you look at like, and they have a term for it, and I I can't remember what it is. It's like the income gap or income slope or leap, but it's like right now they probably have to keep their income. Let's just say it's like twenty thousand dollars. But if they want to transition out of living in government housing to a place where they can get their own apartment and do some other things, the jump in income goes from like twenty thousand to like forty thousand. Oh yeah, especially in a city like Nashville. It's like it's a massive, it's a massive leap, and there's nothing in place or very few. There are insufficient. I'm not gonna say nothing. There are things. There are insufficient resources to prepare those women to go from living in subsidized housing to a place where they can earn forty thousand dollars a year. Right. So um, Mm, it's just how do we. Super Money Kids is really intentional. How do we become more intentional as a society to build and help those women in public housing, families in public housing, and others to make that leap? Because it's we're in a capitalistic society, right? And um, if I if I build something that creates the problem, I mean that that um, the, uh, combats the problem, then because there's somebody benefiting from the problem existing, and they lose money, right? Um, you know. Yeah. And so, how do we? Is it do do we come with do? Is there a place to where it's an equilibrium? I believe so. Like okay. I believe that there there's hope. Like yeah. this, you know, issues in terms of poverty and and certain like we're talking about like microeconomic things. Those things mm-hmm. are addressable, but we can't rely on a system to fix it. To be honest, like it, it, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna happen from your mayor. It's not coming from your governor. Hey, um, hey. It, it has to come from inside of our households and inside of our hey. communities. You hitting it? Um, you hitting it? I, I think that we have to again inspire hope and um, have a level of exposure for people to even see what their options are. There's mm-hmm. a woman who lives over in Casey right now who's like, man, I'm trying to figure out like how I can get out of this. And, you know, we talked to them about a, I don't know, a pivot technology school that'll teach you, that'll teach you a tech skill and you can get a job when you finish. You know, she might not know about that. She probably does now because I think they got a, a partnership with uh, MDHA or something. But, um, but yeah, it's just like they, there needs to be a level of awareness, right. right? So there needs to be the exposure there. And then there has to be a desire, hope, like inspiration to say, hey, you can do this right. and you and you should. Right. And y'all that's all it takes. And that's and that's and what we that's what we do. Yeah. Like we definitely do the the inspiration. 
Um, we do a lot of exposure. We don't do. We haven't been doing a, a, as much of the exposure work as we have in the past. We've had to get you know creative during the yeah, pandemic. Yeah, I had to track you down for two years to try to get to yeah. exposure. So I, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> like like for real, for real. And um, I just really just think it's pivotal, man. One to break down everything that you talked about around financial literacy and financial and understanding what illiteracy, financial illiteracy is our community understand and know the barriers but also know there's hope and there's navigation tactics that that you can do and that people like yourself and your organization is like trying to ingrain in community yeah yeah for sure man like um you know i appreciate you having me on i always love the opportunity to to like you know talk about some of this because people just they just aren't aware and we live in it every day and and here man like what I like about this platform, we can do, we can cut through some of like the BS. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's call out some of the barriers that exist in our social construct. Let's acknowledge it, right? Because there's some people that just like, oh no, like just pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and you, you know, it's those people still out there. Like, nah, let's 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 call out what's what's happening to certain people in our communities that's preventing them from climbing that ladder that you're talking about. And then once we once we acknowledge it, okay, now let's put in some navigation tactics and plans and understand like we know this exists now okay well this is how you navigate it. these are some resources these are some things you can you can pivot around it and get to the point that you want to get to and that's what i love man like people can come in here and address that and be open about that and people like yourself and others that are prominent leaders in our community can come out and call it out right and can call it out and 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 you don't have to conform and you're not going to lose any social capital about it like right? you're speaking the truth and then you also giving people solutions and outlook to what what hope is and what the possibility of, of, of what financial literacy in the future should and can look like if we do the work and build in community together um, and support each other and support mm -hmm. uh, organizations like uh, Super Money Kids. I keep wanting to say Knowledge Bank. Uh, Super, Money, Super, Super, Super Money Kids, man. Um, so what's next, man? What, what, what's, what's next? Man, golly, what's next? I feel like my year is already planned out, and um, and we're just now in the <laughs> we're just now at the end of January. Um, we have a few new a few new modules we're rolling out. Okay. Um, we're in a transition from some of we're in a transition from like personal finance stuff to doing more economic things. Okay. Really, for the reason we were talking about it a second ago in terms of exposure. Right. And helping helping young people see the world mm -hmm. versus, you know, their community. So we're doing that from an economic lens. Um, we are, a lot of the content that we've put in schools, we're about to make available for families at home. We're really happy about that. And, man, we had a podcast that's launching. Um, Shout out. Hey, hey, what's, hey, come on now. Come on with the pod. Hey, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it is currently an unnamed podcast with myself and my daughter, and we're gonna talk a lot you know about. You know, me and your daughter still kind of beefing, right? She, you know, she, she, you know, she man. keep a, she keep an enemy in the streets. We still beefing, man. We you know, still, she, she, she do. I'm saying, me and uh, and Marche Stevens' kids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we all, I'm beefing with all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, they, you know, so me and my daughter, you know, we're gonna talk a lot about our conversations we have at home about mm -hmm. money, and then just our relationship in general and what it's like for me, you know, being a single dad, right. what it's like for her to be raised, right. you know, by her dad and um, all of the, the different awesome, challenges man. that we encounter That's on a awesome, regular. Man. So, um, so gotta, we got that rolling I got to have y'all back up here together, man. That, 
And she probably gonna eat all the pizza. I might even get her no pizza. You just make sure she don't tell you. She gonna be like, I want my own mic. So me and you may have to share a no, mic. We got more than mic. I was yeah, gonna, yeah, I was gonna say, she's gonna want her own mic. She gonna ask for it. Oh man. So, um, so we we're, we're gonna do more content. I talked a lot about the importance of content um, earlier, and so that's an area where we just haven't done right. well, um, and it, it's my fault. Of course, it's my fault. Who 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 else is who, who else can I blame? But hopefully this year um, we get a little bit better about that. And I want us to spend more time on like content, having conversations like this. Right. Um, we're going to kind of shift how we um, how we budget our time and right. do more of this type of thing right. and less formal uh, formal curriculum. Because that by by this summer we will have. Um, We'll have two modules for like elementary through middle school, okay. and then we'll have two for um, basically like upper middle school through high school, mm-hmm. and um, that that puts us in a really good place in terms of what we're able to teach. Right. Um, and I really just want to be able to promote that stuff throughout the country. So how can um, how can people support? We don't have the the, the bank here, so it's not right. Here. Right. So how can people support? Get a bank. Um, I know you all are doing um. Uh, the drive, the bank drive. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. The, yeah, the country. Yep. Um, how can yeah. people find out more? Reach out to you. Best way. Sponsor. Yeah, yeah, for head. sure. Um, um, you can visit our website at supermoneykids.co.co. Supermoneykids.co. You can find us on all the social media platforms. Supermoneykidsco. Um, you know, if you're a financial institution or company or individual that's just like, yo, we love what you're doing and we want to provide some financial support, feel free to email me mm-hmm. at knowledgebank.money. That's C-H-A-L-E at knowledgebank.money. Um, and definitely follow us on our bank drive tour. We're raising awareness to the importance of financial literacy by donating 5000 of our super money banks and our curriculum um, to schools across the country. And initially, that was a campaign that we were going to only run through the end of January. But um, we received just so much feedback and support and recommendations that we couldn't get it all done. We couldn't get everything scheduled by the end of January. Right. So we've decided to push that out through the end one. of that's, April. That's a good problem. It's a good Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So we've pushed, we're pushing that out to the end of April. Okay. April is Financial Literacy Month. Okay. And so it'd be a good time to to finish that campaign right. up. We, we got to do some type of pizza and financial literacy collaboration, man. Yeah, I'm with right. it. Yeah, yeah, let's make it happen, man. I'm with it. Last question for you. Um, what does the future of financial literacy look like here in Nashville in the next five years? Does it? Do I have to answer it from the perspective of Nashville? Yeah, man. Yeah, okay. Yeah, All right. To. All right, I got it. We natives here. Okay. We're speaking directly to Nashville. I'm going to answer it. I'm going to answer it on a national level and I'll answer it for Nashville. Um the work that we the work that we're doing locally is just, it is just really um like blowing up and expanding. We have um, a lot of corporations who supported the work that we're doing. Um, Alliance Bernstein, Jackson National, Citizens Bank, Studio Bank, um, Ernst & Young, Vanderbilt University, Assurion, and I'm going, I probably shouldn't even start naming everybody because I'm going to forget somebody. 
um, we're getting a lot of support to do this work because our corporations recognize the importance of our kids growing up having access to all of the resources that they need to be successful. Um, we're also, we're just in a lot more schools than we ever have been before. Um, in the next five years, I expect anyone to be able to go into a metro school and they know what Super Money Kids is. It don't matter what neighborhood, it don't matter what grade level, right. you walk into that school and you say, hey, are, are y'all familiar with Super Money Kids? And they get really, really excited. I got my bank right and here. And like, yeah. you know, hey, we have a bank right here on yeah. the shelf. All of our kids go through the program at some point during the year. And in five years in Nashville, it needs to be expected that our kids, especially here in Nashville, that our kids complete um, um, at least one of our courses. Um, what we're going to see on a national level is we're going to see more states requiring financial literacy at all grade levels. Tennessee actually requires um, like a half credit of personal finance class to graduate. It's not nearly enough. And to be perfectly honest, our teachers are ill-equipped to adequately teach that topic. Right, you need resources. Yeah, you need resources. Like, you know, this it's, they have people teaching it that are also like the PE teacher. Like, right. there's no, you know. Right. So it, it, our, our districts are just under-resourced in order to do that well. Um, we help with that. It's a really light lift for the teachers. It doesn't require attending a workshop or a teacher actually teaching it herself. Everything is digital, so it's a really fun experience. And so um, we're about to, as a country, we're we're about to get there. Where it's like, hey, our kids need right. financial education because it's good for our economy right. overall. Um, you know, we live in the South, and we in Tennessee, and we a little slow to adopt some things uh, at times the, the state for level, for multiple know. for multiple reasons. Yeah. We can I, well, we don't have to go there, but <laughs> for multiple reasons on a, on a state level, we're slow at, at doing some things. But Nashville is a really progressive city, and I believe that our city will respond outside of. The mandates that come from the state. That was I did that on purpose. I'm just being petty, but, no, but I didn't have to. I didn't have to do that. But, but the redistricting, yeah, might, I mean, might, might, you know what I'm saying? It, it could change the level of progression that we see here in Nashville. That is a really, that is a really yeah. good point. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but Courtney, man, I appreciate your time, fam. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise, man. man. Yeah, nah, man. Glad you enjoyed your vegan pizza. <laughs> I smashed my hand. You did. You did. It's yours, man. I smashed. I'm done. I can't eat. I can't. I told you after I got done, I gotta throw it. What am I saying? But uh, man, hey, everybody, appreciate all the love and support uh, for checking out this episode of Courtney Hill. Shout out to Studio Bank for sponsoring again, and uh, make sure y'all watch the next episode. All right, we out.